Hello and good evening, welcome to another episode of Religions, Visions and Refugees in the Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you very much for joining me again today. I really appreciate your presence and I'm very, very honoured that you've taken the time to listen to me. So yesterday we spoke about uh, Lord Mountbatten and his wife Edwina Mountbatten, Dickie as he was known. Um, and we gave you the history of the couple, their married life, their extramarital affairs, and how this came to be very important to India, how it influenced the Indian partition, um, how it influenced Indian uh, politics later on, because Edwina Mountbatten kept on her relationship with uh, Nehru until 1960, until she died. When she died, she was surrounded uh, by letters of Nero and not of her husband. So you don't think that this would have influenced Nero. Now, um, we want to talk to you about Nero today and uh, the Indian constitution. Given the mindset and the context of which Nero was in, in 1947, do you not think in the... In, um, Edwina Mountbatten would have influenced him as an architect of the Constitution. And I've said this before, who were the real architects behind the Constitution? Uh, the relics of the uh, Christian and Islamic empires. You think they were not going to protect their vested interest on the Indian subcontinent and their colonial hangover not going to continue? Think they're going to stop just because we've got a new Constitution? No, power doesn't stop. Power doesn't the currents don't stop, neither do the waves, it keeps forming and it will try and, and, and cringe its way through to the surface on the underground um, and as much as possible control the status quo uh, and, and not let go of its power grip that it's had on the Indian subcontinent for 1300 years or so, um, or even more. Um, and, and we will talk about uh, the main architect of the Indian Constitution was it Nero? Was it Ambedkar? Who was it? And um, I read a, a, an important article um, in on the newspapers, um, on the internet. It uh, first came up in the National Herald, which I think is in the papers today, uh, um, for corruption. Uh, yeah, and it was published in 2017. This article is now written in a, in a, on a website called presidentialsystem.org, uh, run by an Indian American, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so I'm going to read you the article and we're going to talk about it. Okay? Um, so it's commonly believed that Ambedkar, uh, Dr. Baba Sahib Ambedkar, uh, the Right Honorable Baba Sahib Ambedkar, who I, I respect very much, uh, framed the Indian constitution. Many think he did so single-handedly, but like any other constitution, ours wasn't created by a single person. It was formulated in a number of con committees and then debated and decided inside the Constituent Assembly. However, there's, there is a reason why Ambedkar is usually given all the credit. He was a popular leader of the Dalits, people of scheduled caste, who constitute about 16% of India's population. That's a big vote bank. For decades, those who wish to get Dalit votes have been training Ambedkar worship by singing pions to his constitutional contributions. No doubt, Ambedkar was a key member of the Constituent Assembly, 
He sat in some of the top fourth committees, such as Union Constitution Committee, chaired by Jawaharlal Nehru. Ambedkar also led the drafting committee, which scrutinized the original draft prepared by the constitutional advisor, Bien Rao. Shepherding the final draft through assembly was a measure of accomplishment indeed. When Ambedkar made some of his finest speeches, but the real architect of India's constitution was Jawaharlal Nehru. Opandit Jawaharlal Nehru. His Union Constitution Committee had 15 members, including Ambedkar. Almost all key principles of the Constitution were decided by this committee, and only then brought to the floor of the Assembly. And since the Assembly was in total control of the Congress Party, of which Nehru was the indisputable leader, the committee's decisions were also always approved. A very important part. All the principles of the Constitution were decided by a committee, and only those brought to the floor of the House, um, floor of the Assembly. And since the Assembly was in total control of the Congress Party, of which Nehru was their leader, the committee's decisions always got approved. And, and, and people forget this completely. The Congress and Nehru were the real architects of the Indian National Constitution. Um, uh, and and, uh, and, and Ambedkar's contribution is no small task, but he was the PR camp manager of this movement. So much so that in the case of deciding how president of the country ought to be selected, Nehru's wish prevailed over all others inside the assembly. He wanted the president to be elected indirectly by the MPs and MLAs sitting in the country's legislatures. In a joint meeting in June 1947 of the Assembly, 36 most frame, topmost framers, Nehru was asked to reconsider, but he never did. Um, today, India's president and head of government is not elected directly by the people. In the following article, one of the leading constitutional scholars, Surinder Kulkarni, chronicles the role of Ambedkar and Nehru in the making of India's constitution. Nehru stands above Ambedkar in the writing of India's constitution. We are living in times when it has been hazardous to extol the greatness of our first prime minister who provided leadership to a free India for the longest stint in history, 70 years. Well, for the first 60 years of, of life, we were, we, it was, we were living in times that was hazardous to even question this socialist and repressive uh, government of the Indian National Congress and their Marxist uh, occupiers of our Indian state and our mind uh, to, to talk about anything else besides the Nehru Gandhi family. Anything else. We had to proclaim their, 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 their glories, sing it on top of the roofs. We had nothing else to say. We said anything that went against them, they would call us, uh, they would there would be repressions, uh, suppression, we would be chastised, and so people complaining now that it's difficult to talk about our first prime minister. It's exactly, uh, you know, the shoes, what goes for you goes for others. The shoes on the, uh, your foot now and you don't like it, but that's exactly what this Congress-led uh, uh, secular scam um, did for 50 to 60 of the first 75 years of independence. So Pandit Nehru began steering the ship of the nation's intemperance tempestuous times, yes, that's true, when India had been partitioned and the division was accompanied by communal killings and destruction and border migration on a horrendous 
scale. Nehru's role in making of the constitution was ignored. Since the article is being written on the occasion of Constitution Day, 26 November 1949, was when the Constituent Assembly adopted the Constitution of India. It came into force on the 26th of January 1950. I would like to highlight how Nehru's preeminent role in its making is sought to be falsified. In contrast, a myth has been created that Dr. Ambedkar was the sole author and architect of the Constitution. A successful attempt has been made to raise in popular consciousness Ambedkar's place in Indian history far above that of Nehru. Disconcertingly, even the Congress party and large body of its supporters among the intelligentsia has, have followed the bandwagon. In the process, Nehru's decisive philo philosophical and practical constitutions of the make, to the making of the Indian constitution which quite apart from his foundation contribution to the making of modern India, seems to be headed towards oblivion. And an important caveat here, it is not anyone's intention to negate or belittle Dr. Baba Sahib Ambedkar's important role in drafting the Indian constitution, or Indian's freedom struggle. As a champion of social justice and determined fighter for the just right of the oppressed, and discriminated sections incarcerated uh, Indian society. Yes, Hindu. So the caste within it's already this dedicated. The caste is Hindu. Yeah. Well, the caste is actually European. It's not Hindu. Thank you very much for not noting it. Don't not having the guts to call it out. Uh, but no, caste is a Latin word. It is not. It is a Christian word. It is not a Hindu word. So, to go back to the writings of this paragraph of this author, as a champion of social justice and determined fighter for the just rights of the oppressed and discriminated sections in the caste within Indian Hindu society, he imparted a uniquely useful dimension of our freedom struggle and the constitution. Indeed, as the head of the drafting committee of the constitution, he certainly stands tall among the Lumieres who were, being, who were part of the constituent assembly. Ambedkar, not the sole architect of the constitution. However, it helps to know that members of the drafting committee, much less its chairman, did not have the sole or the overriding power to prepare the document on its own. They had to draft the constitution as the views and recommendations of various subject committees and the draft itself was discussed, amended and ultimately adopted by larger constituent assemblies. In the entire process, no leader played a more pivotal role than Nehru. How could it have been otherwise? He was, after all, and after Mahatma Gandhi, the tallest leader of the freedom movement and the Congress. He was the Prime Minister in the interim government of India, formed on the 2nd of September 1946. Again, it was on account of Mahatma's suggestion and also in recognition of Ambedkar's well-known scholarship in legal and constitutional matters. The Congress party, which had an overwhelming majority in the Constitution Assembly, decided to appoint him as a chairman of the drafting committee. Ambedkar was not a member of the Congress. Uh, indeed, he was a bitter critic. He was not one of the front-ranking leaders in anti-British struggle, which was uh, led principally by the Congress. Therefore, it is reasonable to think that the time had come to create a constitution for the soon-to-be independent India. The Congress and its leaders would play us a role subservient to that of Ambedkar. All of us today know that the preamble of Indian constitution is its heart and soul. 
as stated by Ambedkar's own, own draft intimation. Um, the preamble is based um, on the resol resolution of the aims and objects and constitutions which came to be known as the Objective Resolution, which Nehru moved on 13th of December 1946. And it's adopted by the Constituent Assembly on 22nd of January 1947. The Supreme Court of India, in its landmark 1973 judgment in the Kesavanda Bharti case, held that the objectives enshrined in the preamble contain the basic structure of the Constitution. The then Chief Justice S.S. Sikri observed, The preamble of our Constitution is of extreme importance and the Constitution should be read and interpreted in a light and the grand noble vision expressed in the preamble. In other words, the basic structure doctrine which has given our Constitution its permanent, stable and guiding character owes mostly to Nehru's vision as he articulated it in the Constitution Assembly, much before Ambedkar was made the chairman of the Constitution Drafting Committee. Um, besides the preamble, Nehru's intellectual fingerprints can be seen all over the Constitution. Much of the defining ideals, principles, and guarantees in the Constitution, of which it globally acclaimed, has found passionate expression in Nehru's speech with introducing the objective resolution. Uh, these include people of all sources of power and authority of independent and sovereign India, guarantees of social, economic, and political justice to the people of India without any discrimination, equality before the law, freedom of thought, expression, faith, safeguards to the backward and tribal areas, and historically discriminated sections of society, and an obligation on the government to promote world peace, internal and international friendship and cooperation. Furthermore, Nehru was the chairman of two important committees, the Union Power Committee and Union Constitution Committee. The deliberations of these committees helped in ensuring that centrality of the Union government of the state government a principle that has been greatly protected the political unity of India and kept check on Paris forces. Nehru, a quintessential Democrat, recognized the importance of safeguarding citizens' right to freedom, which came to be embodied in the Article 19 and also Articles 20 and 22. He upheld the principle of the independent judiciary as the protector of Indian cit of citizens' rights and also checked the transgressions of the state's uh, state institutions. Um, yes, um, on the right of the president, Nehru ensured a fine working relationship between the head of state and the head of government, as even as the constitution makes it amply clear that parliament is the supreme law-making authority and the prime minister is the supreme executive authority. This constitutional wisdom has been respected by all presidents, from Rajendra Prasad to Ramnath Kovind, and now to the Honorable, Right Honorable uh, Draupadi Murmur, and has given all the Prime Ministers, from Nehru to Narendra Modi, the necessary space and power to translate the people's mandate into governance. Nehru's historic speeches in the Constituent Assembly. Anyone who reads the Constitution Assembly would assert that the star performer was Nehru and not Ambedkar. Every time he spoke in the Constituent Assembly, his voice and words carried the gravitas and stamp of authority of the future leader of the nation. Nor, however, it is more important that all 
that all important objective resolutions speech. We indeed spoke twice on this resolution. Even by Nehruvian standards of oration, the two speeches excel in idealism, enriched in lyricism. And that's exactly what it is. Idealism, hollow, gallow, and completely useless. I'm sorry, I do not respect it. Yes, the first one on in India's independence, uh, the tryst with destiny oration on the midnight of freedom. Um, that was great. I loved it. I loved it. The second one. Okay, well, you know, you're just repeating. It's a speech. What else does it does to you? Nothing. Uh, it was important. The first speech uh, on the 15th of August, tryst with destiny. Uh, but after that, it just becomes hollow words. Uh, so, yes, this, my dear friends, was, uh, this, my dear friends, was uh, um, an article in the Presidential System of India, also, uh, .org, um, sorry, PresidentialSystem.org, and also uh, in the National Herald. Um, it's about Nehru's role in the Indian so it was mostly Nehru uh, rather than Ambedkar who did the final touches. But what does who is Nehru influenced by? Okay, it's important to see that you can have a constitution with words on the ground if you don't understand the currents that form your waves. Um, you don't understand the cosmic cycles behind who we are. We're not going to change the words, and you become hollow. And that's exactly what it is. Secondly, we always want to see who influenced the constitution, who influenced India, who influenced Nehru. Nehru was a socialist Marxist. Um, um, and, and Marxism um, Marxism um, and socialism is what India got. Uh, in the last 60 years. Marxism and social repression, 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 complete and utter repression. Uh, we went from 333 million in 1947 to 1 1.4 billion in, 1920, in 2022. What does that mean? A fourfold increase. Why? This was because of the atrocities of socialism. Uh, nothing else is more responsible for this nonsense, this debacle, uh, this laughing stock that it's become uh, than Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru and his uh, idiotic socialism. Yes, there are good sides to it. There's always plus and always minus. But Nehru's socialism, his repression, his, his uh, monarchy, his, his utter... Uh, parivar, as we call it, um, uh, feudalism uh, of the Nero Parivar, and camouflaged by secular socialism is what actually taken us to this mess. You can all have all the fancy words, secular, secular, secular. What does it mean? It means nothing on the ground because we have currents and waves. It's our currents that form the waves. You think after thousands of years of monarchy and feudalism, all the ecosystem, the, 
the components of this feudal monarchies and these feudalism and these colonialism and their uh, ecosystem is just going to disappear. Oh, yeah, we got a constitution we're going to give up. No, they're just going to rebrand themselves with different labels and buy out the government from the back door. So you have secular on the front, separation of religion and state, but to the back door, these same people are sending their lobbies to buy out the government. What difference does it make? And here we are today. So, yes, Nehru influenced um, the, was the architect, the main, major, major architect behind the Indian constitution. But who influenced Nehru? First and foremost, um, Nehru was influenced by socialism and, and Marxism of the United uh, USSR, that means the Soviet Union. Uh, and Nehru did not completely get this fantastic constitution out of nowhere. Okay, He didn't invent the words, and oh my God, there's idealism and lyricism. That's just hollow stuff. But there were... Um, the, the Indian constitution was borrowed from other constitutions all over the world. Different countries and details are given below. So Australia, okay, freedom of trade, commerce, inter, uh, intercourse, joint sitting of the two houses of parliament. This was borrowed from Australia, from Canada. A federation with a strong center, vested, resting of residuary powers in the center. Appointment of the state governors by the center. Advisory jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. Advisory jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. Borrowed from Canada. From Ireland. Directive principles of state policy. Nomination of members of the Rajya Sabha. Methods of elections of presidents. Borrowed from Ireland. Japan. Procedure established by law. The USSR, now Russia. Fundamental duties. Ideals of justice, social, economic, and political in the preamble. The UK was, from there we borrowed, parliamentary government, rule of law, legislative procedure, single citizenship, cabinet system, prerogative writs, parliamentary privileges, and bicameralism. From the United States, we borrowed fundamental rights, independence of judiciary, judicial review, impeachment of the president, removal of the Supreme Court and high court judges, post of vice president. From Germany, we bought a suspension of fundamental rights during emergency, which we had, thank you to the Indian National Congress. From South Africa, we bought procedure for amendment of the Indian constitution, election of members of the Rajya Sabha. From France, we got a republic, ideals of liberty, equality, fraternity, and in the preamble. So you see, <coughs> sorry, Nero did not invent this, com this constitution from nowhere. He was influenced. He and the Indian National Congress borrowed it from other people. And so we got parts, bits, and, 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 and parts of constitution from different countries in the world who already had constitution, who had already worked and amended and adjusted their constitution over time, and we borrowed from them, and subsequently we rolled to adjusted uh, ours and made amendments to ours, which is normal. Um, and look, borrowing a constitution or borrowing parts of uh, constitution being and being... Um, um, you know, uh, influenced by others is part of life. We're all influenced by other countries, other groups, other other people. We learn from others. We learn from others' currents and ways because we are all the same ocean. So it, it is important to look at others and what can we learn. It, it's not wrong at all. And, and, and kudos to them in that 
point of time when we had just come out of feudalism of so many years and centuries and centuries. Um, and yeah, so borrowing it from um, borrowing it from from others was absolutely uh, um, not a problem. Uh, the Great Britain that ruled oh, India over two hundred years uh, was the most the group that influenced the um, Indian constitution the most, uh, the constitution, parliamentary government, rule of law, legislative procedure, single citizenship, cabinet system, prerogative uh, writs, uh, parliamentary privileges, um, all borrowed from the uh, United Kingdom. So yes, we have borrowed from others, but there is someone, something else, and it has always bothered me who influence uh, the architects of the Indian constitution. Who were the real architects of the Indian constitution? You have to realize that prior to independence, there were two groups. There was the, Indi uh, uh, the, the Europeans who, who practiced predominantly Christianity in its different denominations. Their power on the Indian, uh, although the Christians were small in number compared to the rest of the citizens, uh, because they were there not more than 450 years, starting with the Portuguese. Um, you think they had, they they didn't fill their pockets with money and land. They didn't really care about Christianity. They didn't care about, uh, they didn't care about uh, Christians on the ground. They care about power. Look at the churches all over India, and they have huge compounds, huge parishes. Um, for example, the parish that I come from uh, in India, huge ground, 200-meter track. Uh, I mean, from where did they get all this land? Because they were there before a very long time and invested in, in education uh, units, uh, in sports, in track and field, in track, in gymkhanas. And so they have these big grounds um, and, and big uh, land-owning people. They're the second biggest land-owning uh, group, if I'm not mistaken, in India after the defense. Even Islam, who ruled for so long, does not have this because they did, it did not invest in any sport. They did not invest in any education besides their godforsaken mar uh, madrasas. And I apologize for that because I just don't like it. But uh, besides madrasas and in the Quran and the Quran and Quran, they did absolutely nothing else, and so they didn't invest in 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 uh, these big compounds. So if you look and these big land-owning places, um, so if you look at Christianity, they control the land, they control money, they control power. They're not going to give it up. And the second group that was controlling this area, besides the, the Christian groups, was Islam. Islam had ruled this land in different parts and formats from 711 AD until the fall, uh, even after the fall of the Mughal Empire in 1707, um, after Aurangzeb, because they formed smaller vassal states, kingdoms, um, principalities. So they still ruled the land. They did not they did not just disappear. And that, my dear friend, was still their power, their ecosystem through their mullahs, their chullahs, their mosques, their, uh, their sharia zones uh, was still very, very vibrant. And they were controlling the land uh, in big part, controlling the mindset, the ecosystem on the ground, um, the mafia, there was plenty of them, the zamindars, the jagidari system was, uh, 
populated by them, by, by these uh, invaders, by the Islamic invaders, starting with the Delhi Sultanate, and then went on to, to the Mughal, uh, and then afterwards came down to the British. So these two groups influenced uh, the land, and, uh, and guess who influenced Nehru. So Nehru was keen to show himself as this prime leader, the leader, the new leader of South of, of the Indian subcontinent, the secular, the one size fits all, the um, um, the removal of, uh, of um, untouchability, Hindu caste, Hindu uh, this, no, no, no introspection was done, no um, no background checks was done, no questioning was done, no research was done. Why? Because he needed to put keep the cap on the Vedic civilization. Who wanted to keep the cap on the Vedic civilization? Those who left India behind. The, uh, the European powers who had vested interest in on the, on the land, they had vested interest in India with their churches, with their money, with their land, with the geopolitics of the Indian subcontinent, wanting to find control of of the uh, Asian Indian uh, Ocean and uh, South Asia and the seas uh, and the China seas, they wanted a, a post in on the Indian subcontinent. Um, they wanted to control it, but they would not be able to control it, and they definitely did not like the Hindus or people who followed what we know now as the Hindu faith or Dharmic faith. They did not like them, they did not agree with them, they thought we were pagans, they thought we were heretics, they were people who believed in, in snake charmers, um, uh, and they needed someone on the inside, a mole on the inside. Who do you think that mole was in the inside to protect the interest of the Christian denominations and the power system, including that of uh, the Islamic power system, because um, you remember the British, uh, the Pakistan was were big allies with uh, United Kingdom, with um, uh, yes, with the European government, the British government, because they had uh, sided. The British had sided with. Uh, Jinnah and the Muslim League in order to get independence. Uh, Jinnah actually wanted to break away from, from India um, and finally in the end the British supported them. So the British stayed on in Pakistan longer than they stayed in India because the Pakistanis asked them to, to do that um, and we also know that they were allies, more allies with Pakistan and India. So the Pakistanis wanted to make sure of their interest in India, uh, on the Indian subcontinent. They definitely did not want to lose their power on the Indian subcontinent, which they had. Uh, the Christian uh, denominations and, and uh, establishments wanted to make sure that they had their power and their uh, money and control of the land was given now constitutional rights. That means that their colonization continued through the constitution in the form of secularism, in the form of minority rights, in the form of fabricated equality, but in reality, um, colonial arrogance, uh, where they were given through minority rights more investments and more powers. Uh, to continue the proselytization, appeasement, 
uh, to these minority rights in the constitution. So basically, they continue their colonial al um, arrogance uh, and hangover. And who was responsible for being the mole uh, in influencing the Indian, sub, uh, Indian constitution? Edwina Mountbatten. She influenced also Nehru during the partition. She influenced Nehru to give up certain areas of the Indian subcontinent uh, to, to change his mind because Nehru was not changing his mind. So the Mountbatten was not uh, getting to Nehru, but he knew that his wife was having an affair with him because Edwina and, and Louis Mountbatten uh, had an open relationship. That means they had multiple partners and he knew that he could use her to change his mind on the inside. He in Edwina Mountbatten influenced Nehru. Uh, once Edwina influenced Nehru, the Indian subcontinent was, was uh, broken up. Even Maulana Kalam Azad mentioned this in his book, um, the, of Freedom, which I read out to you. Um, and once, once the Indian uh, constitution was made, India got independence. Edwina Mountbatten continued her, her love affair with Nero till 1960, that is 13 years after partition, and she would have absolutely influenced Nehru as the architect of the Indian constitution. She would have uh, influenced him to continue his appeasement to the Christian ecosystem and their lobbies and the Islamic ecosystem and their lobbies to promote their allies of Pakistan within India um, um, and the Islam and the Islamic uh, land owning rights and the feudal lords and all of the above um, all their power and money that they had more than even the Hindus because remember the Hindus have not been in power since a very long time since practically the fall of the Gupta and the Maurya Empire. In, in rea reality, they have not really been much in power since the last 1,700 years, uh, except in bits and pieces here and there. So Edwina Mountbatten, my dear friend, is responsible for a lot of things on the Indian subcontinent. Unless and until we have the courage and the guts to say it, we are not going anywhere. She influenced this concept of appeasement, uh, of proselytization, of, of uh, letting, making sure that, uh, that um, Nehru handcuffed, uh, the uh, socialist Marxist Nehru handcuffed um, the Vedic, uh, Vedic civilization that India was uh, to, to her detriment and to the empowerment and continued uh, colonial uh, hangover and arrogance of the Abrahamic empires on the Indian subcontinent. Today we are suffering, we are ashamed of our own culture, we are ashamed of our own, ashamed of our own history, we're ashamed of who we are, where we've come from, our languages, we don't speak it, we don't know nothing about our history, thanks to the absolute repression, suffocation of the knowledge of our ancestors through this narrow Gandhi socialist Marxist, um, I don't even know what to call them anymore, this gongshomerator group who 
who are feudal lords more than democrat. They use fancy hollow labels of democracy, sec secularism, uh, socialism, Marxism, um, equal rights, uh, victimhood, minority majority, us versus them, but it's all about divide and rule. The Congress and their leftist ecosystem is about divide and rule, and they got us to vote for them. I voted for them for two cycles, two election cycles, and I am ashamed of it. Uh, I'm ashamed that I betrayed, literally in my mind, my Vedic ancestors. But every cycle will come around a full circle. And I have woken up. I hope you've woken up. I hope a lot of people have woken up on the Indian subcontinent. And we understand that we've been had, we've been lied to, and we've been used and colonized to the back door. Worse than the British time, worse than the Mughals, worse than the Delhi Sultanate. We've in a worse day today than than we ever were but again it's all a it's all a perception of our minds we can get out of this we can stand up if we empower ourselves with knowledge heal understand that the status quo understand how this was played out to the back door don't ever believe in the secularism again because it was used as a scam to keep us in fear and shame when we have nothing to be ashamed of caste is latin untouchability and and dalit is hebrew it was bought to the indian subcontinent because she became the absorber of these refugees who were fleeing from these systems fleeing from these tribal uh, mentalities fleeing from this poverty that was called dalit 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 untouchables they became untouchables they became um, leprosy colonies and they were fleeing from these systems and then came over to the indian subcontinent the indian subcontinent has absorbed the shock of this abrahamic ignorance and because it's been so long that they don't even know and recognize their own selves they don't recognize their own history they will never will we are obligated to take over the the brunt the brunt and the indignation of this when it has nothing to do with hindustan we absorbed this indignation we are not going to pay the price for it we're going to stand up and say what it is and give back the shame to where it actually belongs and to understand that the indian constitution was actually uh, made by uh, and with its chief architect as Jawaharlal Nehru, who was influenced by many people around him, including Soviet Russia and Edwina Mountbatten, whose main goal was a mole, so to speak, um, in Nehru's lap, in Nehru's pockets, to make sure that her interests and the interests of the Abrahamic occupiers uh, of the land continue to the back door to the detriment of our Vedic civilization. Unfortunately, it is what it is. We cannot change the past. We can change the future, but we have to heal. We have to have the knowledge and being angry today is not going to help. Once we understand this today, we understand the cycles that will continue and continue and continue because we have the same currents and waves. In order to, to change it, you have to have this knowledge, understand it, rise above the status quo, externalize it and have the courage to say it out aloud. So I will leave you with this. I thank you very much for your time. I hope you have a great evening. Please do your research. Very, very important. I am going to put uh, a copy of, of this uh, uh, post that I just read out to you of the National Herald um, on, on the Facebook page. And I hope you take a look at it. You can share it with your friends. It is very, very important. Um, 
and we will go from there. So thank you for your time. I wish you all the best. Peace, my dear friends. Till we meet again.